Hey, good morning, City Light. Go ahead and grab a seat. Good to see you guys. My name is Gavin. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and today is a good day to worship Jesus. He never loses in the fourth quarter. He is always (laughs) reigning and ruling, defeating his enemies, and that's why we will offer him our only and our best praise. Amen. Amen. He is the hope of the state of Nebraska. Hey, uh, we are working through, amen, amen. Even when the Huskers win, he is still our hope, amen? Amen, there we go. Hey, please open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3. We've been working our way through uh, the Old Testament book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, and we're going to continue on uh, in that series this morning. Uh, we have looked at the six, God's six creation days today. We're going to look at God's seventh day, his day of rest. I want to start off this morning by asking you to think about rest. Are you a rested person? Do you rest well? Do you know how to rest? Some of you are like, I have a brand new baby. I don't even know how to spell rest. Amen? Like rest is when I get to go to the bathroom and close the door and my spouse takes over for 90 seconds. That is my rest. I want us to think about rest this morning. Did you know there's a difference between rest and entertainment and comfort? There's a big difference. I think we, when we think about rest, tend to think about, well, what makes me comfortable? What entertains me? How do I escape? And in fact, I would say that for us, in our culture, in our uh, setting, we have a lot of comforts. We have a lot of entertainment. We have a lot of luxuries. Just think about that for a second. I live in a climate-controlled box. It's 72 year-round. Well, it could be. I'm too cheap. It's like 67 in the winter and 78 in the summer. My poor wife. But I could make it a 72 year-round. I have a truck. It has heated seats. That's incredible. As though my behind deserved its own heater, right? I climate control my backside. That is incredible. My, my dog sleeps in air conditioning on a soft little bed. That's incredible. Most American pets know more luxury and comfort than the rest of the history of humanity. Have you ever thought about that? We are a culture that knows entertainment, we know comfort, we know luxuries, but do we know rest? There's a difference. Uh, Do we know how to find rest? Do we know what rest is outside of a half an hour to unplug and watch Netflix? Are we a rested people? Now, what's really interesting in Genesis chapter 2... Uh, we, we learned something about God. We're only 32 verses into the entire Bible, and we learned something about God. And if you think about God's order of communicating things to us and how it may reveal something of their importance to us, uh, you might find it really interesting to know that one of the very first things God tells us about himself, other than that he's our creator, is that he is a God who rests. Now, why is that important? Why does God want us to know right out of the chute that God is a God of rest? Is God just showing off that he can still take a nap? Anyone else out there not able to take a nap anymore? Anyone not? You're not a napper? I haven't been able to nap since college. It's a curse. My wife has the spiritual gift of napping. She can just go out in the afternoon for two hours, and I'm like, how do you do that in college? Oh, I could nap all day. I could could take a six-hour nap. Uh, Now it doesn't matter if I didn't sleep the night before. I don't nap. I lay there. I can rest, but I can't nap. God is a God who rests. But listen to me. I think think it's more significant than the idea of God taking a nap. He's not taking a nap. 
God wants us to know there's something central to his character, central to who he he is, and the fact that he can rest. And this morning, as we take a look at at God's word, we're going to see it's very important. It's It's a unique kind of rest that's unique to God alone, and it's a rest that's ultimately held out to God's children as his good gift to us. And so as we take a look at this idea of rest and God's rest this morning, church, I want us to dial into what God has to tell us. Here's why. Here's what's at stake. If we don't learn the rest of God, we're going to spend our whole lives looking for rest in a million places but never find it. We're going to look for it in entertainment. We're going to be convinced that if we can just work hard enough to get to that next vacation, then we'll be able to finally rest. If we can just hold it together till the kids get to bed and I can unplug and watch Netflix, then I can really rest. Uh, But what we're not going to find is rest. We're going to find entertainment because God alone is the one who offers us real rest, deep rest, spiritual rest, rest for our souls, which I would contend is what we are all looking for. And so this morning, I want to show you four things about God's rest, the rest of God that he would uh, teach us in Genesis chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3. And then I want to zoom out and talk about how God holds out this rest to you and me to experience in our lives together this morning. So uh, here we go. We're going to go chapter 2 and verse 1. Actually, I'm going to give you my point first, and then I'm going to get you into the verse. So uh, point number one is this. By the way, you have note sheets again. You're welcome. Two in a row. I'm channeling my inner Doug. Um, You've got note sheets. Fill them in, please. Point number one is this. God's rest is from completion, not exhaustion. God's rest is from completion, not exhaustion. Anyone else in here addicted to their iPhone? Any phone addicts in here? It's confession time. There's no shame, guilt, condemnation. The Lord has forgiven you. Raise your hand if you kind of have a love-hate weird addiction to your phone. I hate my phone. I absolutely hate it. One time I left it on the hood of the truck when I went hunting, and I had changed in and out of my camo, and then I drove down the highway, and it flew off the hood of my truck, and I lost it, and I had to put in an insurance claim, and for that reason, I had to mail in a a thing, and it was like three days without a phone. First day, I was like shaking and twitching, you know? Second day, it was mixed. By the third day, I felt a rest unlike I had ever felt in years, and I just was ready to beg Verizon not to send it back. Don't send me another one, right? We're dependent on these stupid little things. Um, You know, I I noticed that um, I I love it for a lot of reasons. It has my um, uh, T or Twitter bug is texting my sermons. Good job. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I love it. It's my social media device, right? Text, we connect to the whole world. I took my weather app on here, my email. It's my notepad. A lot of sermon notes are in here, you know, when I'm uh, doing something and, and I'm meddling or just working on something up here and I have a thought, I put it down on here. And uh, it's my entertainment. Um, it's my news source. I have my Bible on here. I read a lot of Bible on my phone. And oh yeah, it's also a phone. You can make calls on these things. Did you, did you notice that? But I've noticed there's kind of a cultural war between the callers and the texters. Have you guys picked up on this? Some people are like so offended if you don't answer your phone on the first call. I'm offended that you would call and not text. I mean, I'm just, I'm on the texting side. I think we should rename these the iText. Anyone with me? Let's call them an iText. Um, primarily, these are for texting. That's their primary function. Secondarily, they're making, for making phone calls. But I think there's only one number you should ever dial on this. It's 911. Everything else, you can have a text, okay? It's all about text. The only thing worse than the phone call is the voicemail. Amen? 
Friends don't let friends leave voicemails. It's 2015, people. Text. Anyway, isn't it worse when your battery dies on your iTexter? I hate it when my battery dies on my iTexter. And I just feel so lost, naked, and exposed to the world. I'm vulnerable. I need a charge, right? Um, It's the worst when your 20% battery light comes on before lunch. Anyone have those days? The thing is blowing up. You haven't even eaten lunch yet. You need a charge. My goodness. Um, For that reason, I have chargers in my office, in my home, in my wife's minivan, and in my truck. Anyone else a charger fan? We love chargers. Why? We hate it when our battery dies. Our battery, the the iText is a powerful device, but it's only as powerful as the energy that's in it as you charge it up. And you and I are like that. We're like our iTexts. See if I keep saying it subtly, it'll get into culture. (laughs) Work with me on this. You and I are like an iTexter device. And uh, we can start off the day full of energy, but our energy gets expended as we go throughout the day, right? We wake up in the morning, usually uh, on E. If it's a really demanding day, we might be at 20% battery life before noon personally, right? We have an emotional energy, a spiritual energy. We have a, a relational energy, a mental energy. And we are people who go from full down to E. And when we run on empty, we need to recharge. We need to rest, Our need for rest is because of exhaustion. Listen to this. God's isn't. God's rest has nothing to do with exhaustion. To be clear, God rests in Genesis and chapter 2, but it had nothing to do with fatigue. God didn't need to take a breather or lie down or recharge. After speaking the entire world into existence, God's power was not depleted one bit. The theological term for this is called God's, is called God's omnipotence, omnipotence. He is all-powerful, inexhaustible, never tiring. He is the eternal God. So if God doesn't fatigue, why does he rest? Take a look with me at verse 2. It says, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God rested because he was done. God rested because everything that there was to create had been created. The word for rest in verse 2 literally means cease. It means to stop. God is not fatigued. He's finished. God's rest is not about fatigue. It's about being finished. How many of you struggle with completing projects? Right? You start a project, and you're kind of working on the project, and you start another project, and you're working on that project, and you see something on Pinterest, so you start another project. Our devil's pin board, Pinterest, right? It makes us all feel insecure. That's a, I'm going to do that. And you have five projects going, and you never finish one, and for me, it drives me nuts, that feeling of incompleteness. No closure, no finality, but isn't it the best rest in the world when you can finish something? That's God's rest. God doesn't tire. He's not fatigued. He's just finished. And so the first thing we learn about the rest of God that is unique to him is God's rest is not from fatigue. It's from being finished. God's rest is not from exhaustion. It's from completion. Completion. Don't we long for a sense of completion? Second thing I would teach you about God's rest, or rather the Genesis chapter 2 would teach us about God's rest is this. God's rest is from enjoyment and satisfaction. Write that down. God's rest is from enjoyment and satisfaction. Let's rewind one day in God's creative day orders. Day number six 
Um, prior to that, God had formed the earth, filled the earth, prepared the earth for the apex of his creation, which was the man in the garden that he made on the sixth day. After every day, he said it was good. But what did he say after the sixth day? And God said it was very good. God looks at his creation. He goes, wow, that was really good. Really good. His rest is from enjoyment and satisfaction. That brings a rest to the soul. My wife and I bought an old house about nine years in Midtown, and it was kind of ghetto when we moved in. Not horrible, but it needed some love. And so over the last nine years, we've been fixing up our house, a little project here, a little project there. And uh, to be honest, most of it was done before our kids came along. I found it difficult to hang drywall and hold a baby, and my wife didn't love the dust. And so a lot of our housework was done uh, before Grady, our oldest, was born. Um, But one of my biggest projects was to finish our attic. We have about a 400, 450 square foot attic that was unfinished when we moved in. And so um, every night before kids and on the weekends for about a nine month period of time, I would go up and and just chip away at finishing our attic space. And so I framed in some, some knee walls, and, and I put in some insulation and, and some drywall, and I ran some new electrical circuits up there and some plumbing up there and put in a couple showers and a couple sinks and, and a toilet and some tile work, and I built some dressers into the knee walls and an entertainment center and, and designed the lighting and did all the, the, the wiring for it and ran some duct work up there and heated and air conditioned. And the more I did this, the more thought I put into it and the more attention I put into it. And it it became my my treasured work for this nine-month period of time. And and, um, um, I really had no skills when I started, and I really still don't. It's still held together by the grace of God, but I bought a book from Lowe's. It's amazing, a Black & Decker publication. Really helpful. It has pictures. But I put it all together, and I, I painted it and put the trim work down. And the very last thing to be done, the only thing I didn't do myself was the carpet. I don't know how to stretch carpet. Didn't want to learn how. It was a few hundred bucks to have a guy do it. So I had a guy install the carpet. And he installed the carpet while I was at work. So he came in the morning. I went off to the office. And I came home. And it was done. And I remember going upstairs to the attic. And there was something about the, the final touch of the carpet that just made it look amazing. And not to toot my own horn, but it looks awesome. It's better than anything you've ever done. You need to come. You need to come and see this thing. It's a piece of art. Um, it's not, but it's it, for me, for a novice, I just, it turned out better than I expected. And there was something about that moment when the carpet was finished and it was complete and it was perfect. And I'm a weird human being. And so there's no furniture. So I just, yet yeah, then, so I just laid down on the carpet. I laid down on this, it was like virgin carpet. I laid down, never been used before, and I just admired the attic, and I'm looking at the light fixtures and the walls. And after about a half an hour, my wife comes up. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, honey, lay down, lay down. Just feel this, just lay down on this carpet. She's like, okay, lays down on the carpet. Look at that wall. She's like, yeah, it's awesome, you know? I was admiring completion and perfection, and there was a rest in it, right? On a cosmic scale, that's the rest of God. He's completed his work, and he enjoys perfection. He looks at all of his creation, he says, man, that is good. Much better than Gavin's attic. That is very, very good. On a cosmic scale, that's the rest of God. It's a deep pleasure and satisfaction from the fruit of labor, that's the rest. God isn't tired. He's finished. 
And he admires that which is perfect, which only he can do, because that's what you do with perfection. You rejoice and you rest. Let me ask you, don't you long for that kind of rest? The rest to have something done and to have it done perfect, that's the rest of God. Third thing I think Scripture would teach us about the rest of God out of Genesis chapter 2 is this. God's rest is first a God thing. God's rest is first a God thing. Pardon the awkward wording of my third point. I didn't really know how to say that, so let me unpack what I mean by this. This is a, this is a really interesting thing, so dial with me, stay with me on this. When we think about, before this morning, if I, if I said to you, tell me about the rest of God. Tell me about seventh day God rest. The, the first thing that would probably come to your mind is like the fourth commandment, right? God has the Ten Commandments. His fourth one said, you should honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. We would say, well, depending on if you're Jewish or Christian, you might celebrate that on Saturday or Sunday or Saturday if you're an Adventist. We immediately think about man's rest, right? That's when you don't work. That's when you go to church. That's when you whatever. But what's really interesting here is that um, Genesis 2, okay, let me back up. Uh, God's commandment for his people to rest comes generations and generations after Genesis chapter 2. God instituted the Sabbath day command for his church or for his people, but it happened after the fall of man, after the Tower of Babel, after the patriarchs, after um, the the Israelites' enslavement and, and captivity to the nation of Egypt. It happened after the Exodus. This was a long, 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 long time later that God commanded anyone to rest. Um, Generations later, that is not where God's rest begins. It begins here in the garden, thousands of years earlier, at creation. And when it starts, it has nothing to do with man. Did you notice that? In those three verses where we learn about God's seventh day, he doesn't even talk about humanity. He's talking about a God thing. There is a God, and since creation, he rests. It's a God reality. Rest is first about God. It's secondarily about you, but it's primarily has nothing to do with you. It has to do with God. Let me show you again in the verse. Look at verse 3 with me. Let me show you um, not only from just context and proximity of where rest enters the Bible, but from the verse itself. Look at verse 3. It says this. So God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy. Now, God's seventh day rest was the first thing, that word holy, it's the first time it shows up in the Bible. What's the very first thing God declares to be holy? Was it a a priest or a temple? No, it was rest. The seventh day rest, God declares it to be holy. Now, that idea of holiness in the Bible, it simply means that something is set apart for special use by God. It means to be consecrated or set apart for God. So in the Old Testament, they had a temple, and the priests, they would consecrate or make things holy. And what that meant was they would take ordinary, everyday objects, and they would set one aside and say, this is a holy one. This is set apart for temple use. It could be a a ladle. It could be a pitcher. It could be a towel. The idea was they would take an ordinary thing, they would set it aside and say, this is for use for God only. This is now a God thing. And so, uh, for example, you wouldn't just take a a pitcher or a decanter and use it to serve wine at your, at your dinner party at your house and then take it to the temple and use it for a, a, a drink offering. You wouldn't. There'd be two separate pitchers, one for home use and one for temple use. One was set aside by God for God and it was declared to be holy. That's this idea of being set apart. Well, the very first thing that God sets apart holy as holy is rest. 
seventh day rest. What he's telling us is that this rest is first a God thing. It's something that God enjoys. What it tells us is that rest isn't just a human thing, a thing where we stop working. It's not just about napping or watching Netflix or vegging out. It's first a reality outside of us. It's something that we enter into. It exists apart from us. It's first a God thing. And then it's something that God invites us into. It's not just when we cease working. Rest is God's presence. God cornered the market on rest. It's holy. God's rest first is a God thing. It's a God thing. Fourth one is this. God's rest is continual and eternal. God's rest is continual and eternal. All right, remember this. Genesis takes us through the seven-day creation event in Genesis chapter 1 and ends in Genesis chapter 2. And every word in all of Scripture um, is there intentionally and on purpose. And in particular, there's a brevity and an intentionality to the word use that Moses uses in the creation account. Every word is there for a reason. Every word that is not there is not there for a reason. And so it's a very intentional form of literature. Now, remember how Moses concludes the telling of each day in creation. Do you remember how he kind of wrapped up each day? Let me show you. I've got them all on the board, days one through six, in miniature font. Uh, Get your glasses. Uh, You can keep it up small. That's okay. We don't mind small. They'll get the idea. It all says the same thing. Day one, and there was morning, and there was evening, the first day, Genesis chapter one, verse five. Day two, and there was morning, and there was or there was evening, and there was morning, the second day, and there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. You get the idea. All the way through Genesis chapter one to the very sixth day, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. God has a seventh day. How does it end? Well, let's look at it together. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. Did Moses forget the hook to his chorus? It's like he's singing a song. Oh, how did that go? I'm just going to make up a new one and it doesn't flow. No, 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 no. I don't think Moses forgot the hook to his chorus. What Bible commentators and people who are much smarter than I point out is that on day seven, God's day of rest, there is no morning and evening because God's day of rest hasn't ended. His rest started on day seven, but it never ended. It has existed from the completion of creation, and it still is. God is still in his rest. God's rest is continual and eternal. Think about it. It makes sense. Think about it very practically. Notice that God doesn't start the process over again on day eight. It's not like he worked for six days, rested on the seventh, and then day number eight, he woke up, made his lunch, put it in the lunch pail, grabbed his tool belt, headed out to the job site. He didn't. God worked for six days. He rested on the seventh, dot, 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 God rests. It's not a seven-day pattern and cycle like you and I enter into. Um, God's rest goes on for eternity. He completed his work. He was satisfied with his work. He set his work apart, and he enjoys his rest for all of eternity. God's rest is continual and eternal. That means that right now, God is enjoying his finished, satisfied, holy, eternal rest. Doesn't mean God's napping. Psalm 21, the Lord neither sleeps nor slumbers. God's not asleep. It doesn't mean that he's quit working in the world. He's still working in your life and in my life via the power of the Holy Spirit. He's still building his church. He's still building his kingdom. Yet he does so with a deep, satisfied sense of completed rest that is unique to him alone. 
the rest of God is continual and it's eternal. Number five is this. God invites us into his rest. So what? All of this rest idea, what does it have to do with anything? Well, here's what it has to do. First, it matters because it matters to God. Second, it matters because God invites you and me into this rest. This rest that I just described is the present of God to his people, and it's the presence of God to be experienced by his people. God invites us into his rest. Now, stick, stick with me here. I need to make a theological bridge from Genesis chapter 2 to now. And so I'm going to go really quick, and so we're not going to hit everything, but let me just build the bridge for us. This is really, really important. Here's why. You might expect the application of a sermon like this to be, so City Light, you need to take a day off. Our Lord took a day off, and you need to unplug on the seventh day, and um, unplug from social media, not check your email, play with your kids, and just rest. Well, I am pro a day off, and so is the Bible. Maybe you need to take a day off, but what I'm saying is the picture of rest is so much bigger than this. The rest that God has for you is not just a day off. It's something so much more significant. It's a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ in Genesis chapter 2. Stick with me in this. In the Old Testament, we see two primary pictures of God's rest coming to his people. We see it in more themes, but I would say these are the two primary. The first picture of God's rest coming to his people came through the Sabbath day. In Exodus chapter 20, God gives his people the Ten Commandments, and the fourth commandment is to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. So take a day off. Follow the pattern of God's pattern, wherein he worked for six and took, took one off. Uh, So you too should work for six days. Some of you need to apply that before you apply the day off. Uh, Work for six days and rest on the seventh. And so God's people were to cease from all work for a 24-hour period of time on the seventh day. They would commit that day to the Lord, not do any work, and they would trust that God would provide. So the first picture of God's rest in the Old Testament we see is rest from work. He gives his people rest from their work work. Second primary picture we see in the Old Testament is that God gives his people rest from their enemies. Rest from their enemies. So God's people, after they were enslaved to Egypt, where they were severely oppressed, God promised them rest from their enemies in the promised land. Listen to what he tells them in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. He says this. It'll be up on the screens. For you have not as of yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. But when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live safely, and he goes on and he goes on to tell them the promises that he has for him. But the primary picture that he's showing them is, I'm going to give you rest from your enemies. So there's two primary pictures in God's Old Testament people that he gives them. Rest from their work and rest from their enemies. But listen, they were incomplete. They were but signs and shadows of the ultimate rest that God was preparing for his people. They weren't enough. In fact, remember what happened to these two signs of God's rest that came to his people. The Sabbath day rest, which was a present to God's people. Take a day off. Chill out became the most anxious and judgmental day in God's people's calendar week. The religious leaders, remember what they did. They added rules and rules upon rules and regulations. They took God's law, which they were convinced was not sufficient, and they added rules to it. What is an appropriate type of recreational activity that you can do? What is not? 
Can you rescue an animal from a well? Can you not? Can you heal on the day off? Can you not? Can you do this kind of work? Can you not? And they got everyone all stressed out. And then what did they do? The religious leaders started judging other people for not taking their day off good enough. That is so dumb, right? That's straight from our Lord in the Gospels. He had a huge problem. He shows up, and one of the biggest contentions in God's covenant people, the Israelites, was the idea of the Sabbath. They tried to trap God into breaking the day off rule when they tried to trap Jesus into healing on the Sabbath. And they judged people for not taking their day off right. So a day of rest that was God's good gift to his people became a day of great anxiety. Um, God's law to take a day of Sabbath just became something that exposed their sin. You and me, we're proud people. We don't trust God. We tend to compete and compare. And God's day of rest, because of our sin, we turned it into to something uh, completely different. Additionally, God's rest from his enemy that he gave uh, to his people. Um, God's people entered into the promised land. They ultimately compromised their faith in the promised land. And whereas God intended the promised land to give them people or to give his people rest from their enemies, they instead began to worship the idols of their enemies in the land. They began to integrate with pagan culture in the land. They abandoned the God that delivered them. And as a result, they got conquered once again by their enemies, ruled over and oppressed by their enemies. You see that? A day of rest from our earthly work and a place of rest from our earthly enemies will not be sufficient for man. We need a greater salvation. We need a greater rest. We need a rest from our ultimate enemies of our sin and our death and the devil himself. We need rescued from our own hearts that take the the gifts of God like a day off and twist it and turn it to a day of anxiety and a weapon to beat other people up. We need rescued from our ultimate work, which is exhausting, which is the work of moral performance to earn God's favor and approval in our lives. And in the person of Jesus, the God who rested from his work of creation steps into his creation to do the work of redemption. And Jesus Christ, after living perfectly, being accused falsely, after being crucified sacrificially, arms stretched out on the cross in John chapter 9 and verse 30, what did he holler from the cross? It is finished. It is finished. Do you see the connection? The God who brought finality in Genesis chapter 2 is the same God who brought finality to our salvation in John chapter 19. It is finished. Jesus came to give his life to bring us back to God. Our true rest is only found in the presence of God where we're invited into the rest of God. And the only way to enter the presence of God is through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Don't you see how God's rest is like a a great arrow pointing us to Jesus himself, the only place that we will ultimately and ever find complete and total rest. The invitation for you and for me is not only to take a day off, but to experience the rest of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. Let me show you just two more verses of Scripture. I want to make a a New Testament connection here out of uh, Hebrews chapter 4. It's going to help connect some of these dots for us. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 is an amazing chapter about the rest of God that you and I can experience. Look at chapter 4 and verse 9. It says this, So then there remains today a Sabbath rest for the people of God. What the author of Hebrews is saying 
is there is a continual, eternal, complete, satisfied, joyful, finished rest of God that is available to God's people today. It's available to us. We are invited into God's rest, not just one day a week, but every day of the week. Now, look back at verse 3. How do we get that rest? How do we enter into that rest? Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 3 says this, For we who have believed enter that rest. It's belief. Listen, your ultimate rest isn't going to come from accomplishing your to-do list. That's a lie. You're going to get to the bottom of your email inbox and find that you're still not rested. You can be well-slept and on vacation and be restless. You can have your kids graduated high school and out of the house, nothing to do, and be restless. You can have all the luxuries and comforts in the entire world and be absolutely restless unless you have trust in Jesus Christ. There is a rest that your soul longs for, that you've been searching for, and entertainment and comfort that you will never find until you find your ultimate rest in the person of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, do you have and experience that rest? Do you have and experience that rest? Let me press this into two groups of people. Some of you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want you to know the idea is bigger than just some God that is mad at you and you need saved from his wrath. You do need saved from his wrath, but what is more, you need his rest. And that is what he offers you. There is no amount of entertainment that will give you the rest that you are looking for. You long for rest. And what did Jesus say? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. If you're not a Christian, there's a very real invitation for you this morning to find rest in Jesus. Would you turn and trust Jesus? He doesn't want you to be more religious, to try harder, to perform more, to have better church. None of that. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to take your eyes off of your spiritual to-do list and put it on his spiritual to-do list. Because guess what? His is finished. His is perfect. His is complete. And the invitation is not to create your own rest, but to enter into his rest. You'll only find it if you trust Jesus Christ. Would you become a Christian? Would you give your life to Jesus? He gave his life for you. In him alone, you will find rest. Second group of people, I just want to um, press this into is some of you have trusted Jesus and you're exhausted. Okay? Let me ask you are you experiencing the rest of Jesus? Uh, if you've trusted Jesus for the first time, Lord and Savior, entered him, let him come into your life, you have the rest of God positionally. On that last day, you will enter your rest to be with the Lord. But God's invitation is for you to experience that in ongoing ways in this life. And the principle for the Christian life is this. The more you trust, the more you rest. Are there areas of your life where you're not trusting and it creates in you a spirit of restlessness? Let me just go back through our very first um, observations of God's rest. Let me apply them to you through Jesus. What was the first observations of God's rest? God's rest is from completion, not exhaustion. Listen to me, Christian. Jesus said it is finished, and he wasn't kidding. It's finished for him, and it's finished for you. There is no more moral striving that's required to be in the presence of God. You have it through faith in Jesus Christ. Some of you are religiously exhausted. You're running the religious treadmill wondering if I've done enough. Jesus said it is finished. In him alone there is a rest. 
that says, I have blown it this week, I have messed up, I have a long ways to go, but nonetheless, I can experience the rest of God on the journey because it is a complete rest, a finished rest, a final rest. I don't need to be exhausted anymore. Second observation is that the rest of God is from from enjoyment and satisfaction. Guess what? Jesus does good work, much better than my attic, by only a little bit, but much better. Jesus' rest is perfect. What Jesus did for you satisfied the perfect requirements for God the Father. And in John chapter 14, he said that he is going to prepare a place for you, and there is a perfect home awaiting you. There is nothing left to earn, nothing left to prove. You can't improve on the work of Jesus Christ himself. You will find rest when you know that Jesus has satisfied the, the requirements of God, and he has done it perfectly on your behalf. It's a perfect rest. Enjoy it. It means you can enjoy God. You can enjoy his good creation. You can enjoy his good gifts to you. You can enjoy the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You can enjoy looking forward to your eternal home in heaven because it's perfect. Number three was that God's rest is a God thing. You ever think about that? You've been invited in, not to a day off, but to the very presence of God. You get to enjoy God. Some of you are stressed out and restless because you're worried about how your kids are going to turn out or if you're going to have money to provide or what to do with your aging parents or how you're going to handle this. All of that is fine, but do you ever stop to just rest and think, man, also, I'm experiencing God today. God's Holy Spirit is inside of me. God's very presence is with me. God is in me and he is for me and he is empowering me. Do you enjoy God? That is the rest that God gives you. Rest from your weariness, not just your crazy schedule. You can have a hectic, busy life with a demanding career and little kids that are maniacs in your home and do it all with a spirit of rest because rest is not the absence of chaos. It's the presence of God. And you have rest in Jesus Christ. Fourth one is that God's rest is continual and eternal. God doesn't just give you rest on Sundays when you can watch football and veg out. It is his gift to you every day of the week. You can take a special day off. That's fine. In fact, I think you should. It might be helpful to you. But the rest that God has for you is every day of the week and every circumstance for all of God's people. City Light, I don't want us to be the frenzied, stress-out, busy, panicked church. God has given us so much more. One of the good gifts of the gospel is his rest. It's not found at the end of a to-do list or an empty inbox. It's found in Jesus. He has finished all the real work for us. Will you look at him? Will you trust him? And will you rest in him? This morning, to remember the price that he paid for the rest that he gives us in Jesus Christ, we're going to celebrate communion. It's in communion that we remember that it was a very real man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, who gave his body for us. His body, it says, was broken on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. His blood was poured out on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And the Bible tells us to remember that. The idea is that we take communion, we remember the, the price that Jesus paid to give us rest. Rest with the Father, rest for the weary soul, rest for all of eternity with God. And so we take communion. It says you do it to remember Jesus, and you do it to proclaim his death until he comes. So we're going to stand in that death and his resurrection this morning and celebrate that rest by the taking of communion. Um, At City Light, we practice open communion, which means your only requirement for coming forward is that you've given your life to Christ. Have you trusted him for the first time to forgive your sins and be the Lord of your life? If you came in this morning weary and burdened, looking for rest, and you have yet to trust Christ, would you trust him today? 
And maybe your very first act as a Christian would be to come forward, to receive the bread and to receive the juice, symbolic of receiving the good grace and the rest that he has given you. Um, There will be communion servers in the very front. They will rip the bread for you. You take it, you dip it in the juice, partake of it that way. There's no ushers. Come forward whenever you're ready, and then you can head back to your seat. The band will play. We will worship. If you have any food allergies, there is a special food allergy station in the back. And so let me pray. And we will partake. Jesus, you are a God of rest for weary, restless people. God, we live in a hurried, hectic, stressed out culture full of comfort but longing for rest. Oh Lord, you alone are the God who gives rest. Lord, as people's eyes are closed now and heads are bowed, Lord, is there someone in here that needs to experience your rest for the very first time? Spirit of God, would you empower them to cry out to you with these words, Lord, I'm weary, I am restless, I am guilty in my sin and exposed. And I have tried religion, I have tried rebellion, I have tried vacations, and I have not found rest. Jesus, you were the one who bled and died on a cross to forgive the burden of my sins. You were the one who rose victoriously to give me eternal life. You are the one that holds out the invitation of eternal rest now through your grace. And Lord, I receive it. Would you create in me a new heart? Today, I would become a Christian. Oh, Lord, would you make me new? Fill me. I give my life to you right now. Oh, Lord, for all of us, there are some weary Christians in this room who are tired. They're exhausted. um, They're tired from religion or just a chaotic lifestyle and the demands and stresses that face them. Lord, we know that your rest is practical in the present. It's not only an eternal home, but you give the weary soul rest in the moment. And so, God, would you refresh your saints in this room today? Um, Even as they take communion, um, God, bring them to tears over your great love for them, that they can rest. They have nothing left to prove. And even this week, if they drop a thousand balls, your grace lasts even still. Oh, Lord, would they rest in that and find your eternal rest in the chaos, where we pray in Jesus' good and restful name. Amen.